Bex, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. How are you? Super awesome. Thank you so much, Craig. Thanks for having me. What a cool... No, um, I was checking out all your previous guests and you've got some pretty cool people on, so... Yeah, there's, a, there's two guests that are going head-to-head at the weekend in the, the Cup. Oh, uh, yeah? Twyla at Houston and Scott Parkinson at Chicago, so they yeah. two are going to go toe-to-toe, so Twyla kind of texts, like, into our group for what a license can everybody show support and i was like oh, i've got mixed emotions right now because you're my mate and scott's my mate and i don't know who yeah. to support yeah. i've never been in this situation before and i'm panicking and yeah sounds like the fifa days when like new zealand was playing against the host or something was, <laughs> i'm gonna pretend to be neutral <laughs> nah, you can't do that you can't be neutral can you you can never be neutral i know do you know what i find so interesting craig when i moved over to the uk people are so nuts about football but like tribalistic yeah crazy to the point of sometimes i really like worry about their mental health <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like, genuinely but it, but on the other hand it's a lot of fun isn't it all the excitement yeah, yeah. No. Uh, isn't it i think it's something we've missed the last while isn't it during lockdown it's been it's been different watching football on tv and stuff because there's no crowds and there's no fans and yeah it seemed a bit odd. It seemed like training games. Did you did you ever play in any situations like that where there was no fans and <laughs> like? Do you mean did I ever play women's football? Yeah. <laughs> no, I know I know you played women's football. No, I mean I mean most of the time that that's what I find so cool about this time really is that you know we're always trying to argue to try to get more people into the um, the stadia to get more fandom to build audiences and. Um, and it's such a big, because it's such a big difference as a player when you're playing with like a crowd of, even if it's just 5,000, but it's a small stadium and it's like fully packed versus like 300 people. It's just totally different vibe. Like as a player, yeah. as a fan, as a sponsor on TV, all of it. So like now that the men's game gets a little taste of it, they all of a sudden realize, oh, there's like no atmosphere. What, what do we have to do? We have to come up with like fake noises and have DJs on the side of sidelines and which I think is awesome, but I do, you know, it's that double-edged sword. I think it's a shame that people didn't give a shit enough about the women's game to try to be innovative and work through those things because it's quite normal in women's football. But now that we have all of that technology, I really hope that it gets applied because there's a lot of places like to my joke that didn't come across earlier, but you know, (laughs) a lot of, a lot of girls play in front of like zero crowds and, and it doesn't mean that the game is any less exciting. It just means that, like, the vibe is so dead, you know? Yeah, totally. It's different. Like, we kind of went, we were speaking before we started recording about the it being at Glasgow City and the Champions League nights, and you're thinking, if we could only get that crowd, because yeah. it was a full house every time, so if you could only get that crowd to come to the games at weekends, yeah, and and not just the big games like Hibs and, and Celtic and stuff like that at the time and the cup games, you're just thinking, yeah. could we push it a wee bit more? But... I think the club done everything they could, you know, it's not, it's not through the lack of trying. How's lockdown been for you? How have you managed to cope? Um, yeah, I, lockdown? for me, it's been actually great. Um, yeah, I mean, besides the point that obviously it's a global pandemic and there's a lot of people who obviously have suffered. Um, and so there's that whole sort of, yeah, support to that and seeing what you can actually do to donate your time and energy to try to helping those who have, who are struggling. Um, but for me, it's been a really nice time to just kind of like stop um, and really kind of reassess what I want to do. And um, I think for me, it's been very clear uh, and the activities that I've done during lockdown, like, you know, podcasts like this, but, you know, other panels that I've hosted about the effects of COVID on women's women's sports with Denise Lewis or, um, yeah, with Access Stars talking about, like, player and player support with, like, Phil Neville and those guys or, um, yeah, talking about how to grow the women's game um, and also with Common Goal, like, looking at, um, like, how bringing together young kids and then, like, some superstar footballers to talk about, well, what would the future of football be if we could, like, have an ideal world and I guess for me it's all about like the power of football mm-hmm. and, like how it can actually like shift humanity forward um because I think like what football does is it brings community and that's exactly what everyone was struggling with right in lockdowns yeah. you know football platforms you know like a Copa 90 or 
um, I don't know, the BBC, like even doing reruns and stuff like people love football because it's not just, about, it's obviously, and you know, cause you, you know, you love the kits and you love all the fashion, yeah. but it's not just about the sport. It's so much just about the community. And I think, you know, during this time where people really do feel isolated that even more, it's even more important to have that kind of community. So, um, so yeah, it's just kind of like, for me, really solidified the, what I want to do moving forward. And that will definitely be working with players and consulting in, in sports, but a lot more like consultancy towards like, well, what's the point, Yeah. you know? Um, and even now, like we work with some really big brands at, at, at Copa and, and outside of Copa too. But for me, it's not like about, you know, how many audience can you get and how many clicks per whatever. And, you know, it's really about well, what is your, what is your investment about? What is your investment really looking to do in the women's game? You know, working with the visas and some other ones that are going to be announcing soon. It's, it's really trying to help them like hone a strategy, but like really put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. So I think a lot of people kind of like want to get into women's sports, but don't really know how or why, or so it's a lot of sort of like that, that I find quite fun because it feels like you can kind of make an impact, you know? Yeah, massively. And I agree with you there with the community side that like our club um, during COVID, they've, I think it's, they've delivered, is it 400 loaves of bread a week since the start of it to, to like care homes and to families who need it and stuff. And we've got a partnership with Hovis just now in doing so. And it wasn't until the owner said to me, I can't remember how much they've actually done, but it's in the thousands, the amount they've gave out. And I'm like, wow like that's huge like what you've done for the community not just like obviously my immediate job in there is thinking about the first team but when he starts talking about stuff like that and we're in quite a deprived area in Glasgow where we're based and I'm like that's incredible like you've been able to help them deliver deliver food packages and 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 bread and stuff like that and what they need and it was actually quite a wee bit emotional maybe everybody's been through the emotional stages in lockdown but I was thinking that is like that's that's special for me. Like that's something that we should be embracing. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, without getting like too philosophical, but I really feel like the black lives matter movement and everything that happens sort of simultaneously, it just feels like maybe as a human culture, we've actually moved quicker forward through the last four or five months um, or from the last four or five months. And we have like in the last 20 years, yeah. You know, like just really, you know, the, the entire planet is hit by this global pandemic and we only have one choice to sort of make sure that we're all doing things that are going to be helping other people. And just that awareness, acute awareness of how we impact other people, I think, you know, certainly in America that's struggling the most with the, with the pandemic, it doesn't surprise me because you look at the culture and it's like very egotistical. It's very much about individualism. It's very much about like, how do I, you know, what's my American dream and how do I get, Mm -hmm. you know, to be the millionaire? And you look at other cultures like in Sweden or New Zealand, for example, I think Jacinda Ardern is probably like the the modern leader of the century. Um, But you look at like how those cultures who have always been about community and, you know, looking at other people and helping others in addition to looking at what you get. Um, they just do, they've done so well with COVID, you know, they've, they've, yeah. it's been really easy to kind of tell people, Hey, wear masks, stay at home. You know, the communication has been like very free flowing. People have supported each other very, very naturally. And then you look at like a country like the U S that's just like falling apart for so many reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so many reasons that we don't necessarily need to get into, but, um, but yeah, it just kind of reiterates the, that like, how important it is that we're all a part of the same sort of thing. And then Black Lives Matter and, and you see like the entire world going, well, not the entire world, but a lot of it saying, hey, this is this is like a really big problem, isn't it? And actually I'm gonna try to take action um, to educate myself and to try to, to try to do something against it. So it's, for me, it's felt also like a very inspiring sort of four or five months. Um, Cause it feels like a lot of people have kind of like woken up to the, the types of stories and the types of messages that I feel like I'm spouting since I was like born, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 So I, I've, I've quite enjoyed it. Um, Craig in a weird sort of way. H- how about you? Yeah. I, I think I've been the same just because the, the first one for me, Bex was that I'm, because I'm so busy, um, getting to spend four or five months with 
my partner and my wee girls just been incredible because I've never got a chance to do it unless right. it's like over Christmas when we get a break from football and stuff. So yeah. not being out, like because I'm working during the day and then we're coaching at night. Um, yeah. When I was at Glasgow City, it was four times a week. Wow. And then the weekend and then when I moved into a new club, it's three times a week and, at the weekend. But the, the third night's optional. So the coaches kind of rotate and, and take turns in doing it. Um, and I've got good staff around about me who I can leave to it and know that they're, they're going to do fine while I'm away reading the tiger who came to tea with my wee girl um, and getting her dinner sorted and stuff. So it's it's been opportunities like that and to watch her grow, I think it's just been incredible. Like she can, the fact that it sounds silly that I'm saying she can hold a conversation with you now, but she's two years of age and uh, she can happily tell you what she wants to eat and what she doesn't want to eat. And so cute. Listen to her sing songs and make up songs and think she's Elsa out of Frozen. It's just been an incredible time for me, to be honest. Um, she's very qu- quickly moved from Mowgli for the Jungle Book to Moana to Elsa, so she's going through the motion. Uh, and that did include her walking about the house in her underpants for such a long time. So it was weird. It's like me. It's like me as well, but I need to stop. Disney in my underpants for the last four, four months. That's been the best thing about it. Disney, Disney Plus has been incredible. No, I'm only kidding. Um, but I think I think it's been great in terms of that. And then because I was just new into the club, um, it was a great chance to get to know people on a one-to-one basis through Zoom calls and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I never knew about Zoom until lockdown, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never knew what it was I knew I knew about Skype but Zoom's kind of been a revelation in terms of just checking up the players and the staff and making sure mentally they're okay he's yeah. alright they need anything and that's maybe a culture change for a lot of players as well that somebody's actually asking are you yeah. okay is everything okay yeah. and that that's the way I've always thought it to be honest even from when I took the under nines at Glasgow City the yeah. person comes first if you can get the person right then the player will take care of themselves they'll be that's fine so true that's so nice to hear Craig too because there's so many like coaches and and clubs um that don't I don't think support their players in the right way um yeah. and I guess like the better the club quote unquote the better the club or the more successful they do football wise it's almost like the worse the player care becomes mm-hmm. um and that that was sort of one of the things that I started working on during during lockdown was just like working with more players to help them sort of understand their value and where they want to go and um, just really sort of putting a process into place for, for them because it just feels like, you know, during the time that everyone is sort of like scrambling, you know, the FA is scrambling, trying to figure out, are they going to get the Premier League back? Are they going to, you know, how are they going to get support football? Um, are they going to restart the WSL? And, and the clubs are struggling because they're wondering, you know, what about our sponsorships and how are we going to like survive? And, and then, you know, at the very, very end of that chain comes the players. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's been like fairly disappointing to see. I talked to a couple of players where I was like, have you even been asked how you are? And they're like, not really. Um, they've been sent, you know, training programs, but no one really checks up on them. So, I mean, obviously it's, it differs in different clubs. But yeah. It's just really, it's nice to hear that you say that because I think it's, it, it has to like lay in the crux of, of football. Yeah, I think it, it obviously came from my own, own experiences with mental health as well. And somebody asking how you are, yeah, does, doesn't it take much? Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, just asking somebody how's their day been. Or, and you, uh, you found that in the last few years as they got older, the players, um, they would open up and say, oh, I've not had a good day, this happened or that happened. But when they were younger, they would just be like, fine, and run away with the ball. Yeah. And that's, that's fine as long as, as, long as they're okay. Yeah. Um, we've had some players with some long-term injuries, so you spend a wee bit longer with them just to make sure that they're okay. And as I said, the, the players don't get paid, they don't get compensated in any way. So if we can look after them mentally, then yeah. hopefully we're doing something right and the, the staff as well to an extent because I think Ollie's at one point in the staff had a moment where oh, do we need to go back because yeah. there was no end date so we never knew but now yeah. it looks like we're going to be playing in October hopefully oh really that's yeah. cool we're going to kick off in October and we've been given the, the chance now to go and train in small groups so we're training in groups of four and five now already um, yeah and it's good because you're just getting to spend time with the smaller groups and the people and getting to know them that bit better as well. Yeah. So, which, which is odd because you, you know yourself as a player, you don't really get that contact time with coaches sometimes. 
Yeah, yeah that's true. You really don't. Um, I think the best coaches that I ever had were the ones that like I had a, a like a personal relationship with, you know, that you actually yeah. feel like you go talk to them about stuff. And it's the same really in business, isn't it? Like if you don't really get along with your boss or the, the team that you're around, there's no point, especially if you're, I mean, I think that anyway, but especially one additional layer, if you're not getting paid, you know, it's not really your job. You're yeah. doing it because you genuinely kind of, will like it there's no other reason why you play football if you're not getting paid it has to be something that brings that adds value to your life and joy and and if you know if it starts becoming really heavy then yeah there's really no point but I also say that to the pro players as well I genuinely do mm -hmm. it's like you you do actually have other skills you you will actually be okay you will actually be able to make money not just by you know kicking a ball around um, and you don't have to suffer through this if you're really not enjoying it. Um, so yeah, it's a nice, nice way to look at it, Craig. Yeah, definitely, 100%. But let's jump back into your childhood then, because we spoke a lot about my wee girl. So where yeah. did, where, what, when did football begin for you? Do you remember your first memories? Oh, yeah, I remember. So I always played with the boys when I was younger, and we, my parents kind of like put me in every single sport under the planet. Yeah. Um, including like, you know, swimming. I was surfing from really young, um, karate. So it's kind of like literally everything. And they have in the US AYSO, which is the American Youth Soccer Organization. And it's just like anyone can play. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. Uh, and played with the boys up until I wasn't allowed to. I think it was like 12 or 13, actually. And then at that point, um, I don't know how, but one of the clubs, one of the coaches from a club, nearby asked if I would try out for the club team and like it wasn't even really on my parents radar because they weren't they're not American they're Kiwis yeah um so they didn't know the whole system um and then they didn't really know that you could you know apply or, or try out for a club and so I did and then yeah just really liked it and from there um got a, a scholarship to play um, at college but I also you know could have gone and played softball or water polo or basketball so it wasn't ever it was very different from I think a lot of kids especially in the UK where it's like football is kind of the sport yeah you no know, and they all want to be pro footballers and that was definitely not me um, I just I really enjoyed sport and I really enjoyed the social aspects but I was like very heavily into school and really liked you know academics and other things as well. So it kind of just was one of those things that balanced me out and probably kept my parents sane because I was a friggin' nutter with so much energy. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed it. And I think I chose football because it was outdoors. It was like big teams, you know, lots of people. So you could be quite social. Um, and it wasn't, it's a tough sport, you know, like, I mean, basketball, you can argue is, you know, tough, but it's a small court you're running back and forth it's a lot of cutting and football is like a big field you're outside you can run for days um so i think i just like the the freedom that football has um compared to other sports what was going to college like for you because going to duke's pretty pretty big um from the outside in but what's the experience like actually when you're there because over in the uk there's not really an equivalent to it so what was that like yeah, the university system in America is amazing. Um, the amount of money that goes into sports is incredible. So that I'm really thankful that I kind of got that opportunity. Um, but for me, I, I think I didn't realize, it, like because I said I was never a goal to get a scholarship or to play in college. Um, I just wanted to go to the best college that I could. So I yeah. went on like, my recruitment trips to Stanford, Yale, Harvard, Princeton and Duke actually were like the top five and it came down to Stanford and Duke and um, I think Stanford and Duke both had that um, duality of a really good ac academic program but then like really good sports as well whereas yeah. like the Yales and the Harvards they just weren't you know they played in Ivy League but they just weren't really they didn't really compete you know at the top level mm -hmm. and I wanted I wanted to play like really play against the best if I could um and so I, I chose Duke because it was East Coast and it was a little bit in the, well, it is considered South um, in North Carolina. And I just had never lived over there, didn't really know anything about the South and just thought it would be cool to sort of try something new because, you know, Stanford, a lot of my friends went to Stanford. Um, so it was California and just kind of wanted something different. And um, I think 
it was interesting because I studied economics at Duke and it really, it had one of the best econ programs like in the country. And it was incredible. Like the amount of like research professors we had that were like current economists and, you know, only in these big mm -hmm. think tanks. And so it was just, it was great. I love the academics of, of Duke, but I really didn't like the culture. It just really didn't really fit me because coming from LA where, you know, I grew up with all different kinds of people, like literally yeah. all different kinds of people. Um, and then going to a place like Duke, it was like very still conservative, very Southern mentality. Um, there was still segregation, you know, on campus. It was like the black people over there, the white people, not, not imposed, but people sort of self-segregated. And I, yeah. the athletes were kind of like over there in that group. And it was just, I thought it was weird. Um, I didn't like it. I didn't like that vibe at all. So I, I, I was, you know, obviously friends with a lot of different types of people there and got into a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, I was the only, and I use quotes, but the only white girl at the black parties. And it was like, it's just weird, you know, when you grow yeah. up in an environment that just feels like it doesn't really, you don't think about those things. And then you go to an environment where it's like, there's still the history of, you know, because North Carolina was part of the Confederate, Confederacy. Mm -hmm. and, the, and that still, that still sort of came through in, during my time at Duke. And I, so I learned a lot which was good. It was really good because I got exposed to a lot of things I wouldn't have had I just stayed in California. Um, but yeah, so I think like looking back, it wasn't, it was a great academic experience. It was a great football experience, but in terms of culture, I'm really glad I experienced it because I realized like how stifling and how dangerous um, it can be to not, you know, have an inclusive, diverse, you know, group that, that you're involved yeah. with. Um, so yeah, it was bittersweet, I would say, I guess. <laughs> During your time at, at college, is that when you made your first international debut? Yeah. And you were still yeah. at college? Yeah, so I got I got called up to the New Zealand national team in my senior year of college, which was kind of weird because like, I didn't really know about World Cups for women. I, I didn't want to be a pro player. I didn't have really any plans to go into the league. And then the league folded before I you know, before I graduated anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I didn't want to play with the U.S. national team. I was involved in some of the youth um, teams and just didn't really like the vibe and just, I don't know, it just wasn't really like a goal of mine. And then I got asked to play for New Zealand and they were going away for over a month. It was like a five-week tour for the 2003 World Cup qualifiers. Mm -hmm. And um, so first of all, I didn't even know what World Cup qualifiers were. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, what's that? Um, although I had been to the 99 World Cup, I was at the final there and we were in the closing ceremony. So, so I like, I knew, you know, but I didn't really see, understand the significance of all of it. Um, mm -hmm. And then I went away on tour it was a crazy tour because like our coach got fired midway through the tour and we went to Texas in the beginning and did played against a bunch of university teams in the lead up to the qualifying tournament, which was in um, Australia. So just yeah. to try to get games, we, we went and played a bunch of university teams. And in my first game with New Zealand, they had made me captain. And so that was weird too, because, you know, I'm coming in with this American accent, you know, young, I was like mm -hmm. 20 years old. Um, the team had been around for a while. There were some really strong vet veteran players on the team um, who were all lovely, like very, very welcoming and, and stuff. But it also felt a bit, I don't know, felt a bit strange to sort of come in as this young kid and, and the coach wanted to sort of change things up. So um, in the end, it was good. Like the, the players were really supportive because I kind of went to the older players and, and the, cap, the current captain was kind of like, what do you what do you think about this? Because, you know, there's no point being a captain of a team if you don't have the team behind you. Yeah. Um, but they were very supportive, which was awesome. So, um, so yeah, it was really interesting. It was kind of like baptism by fire because I had never, you know, played for a senior national team, was captain at 20 years old. And um and also with everything that was going on with the New Zealand Federation, you know, firing the coach, like midway through your first camp, you're like, what is, what's going on? That's crazy. Lot, yeah. The Federation's gone through a lot of changes since, since I started a lot, a lot of head coaches, a lot of um, new CEOs, a lot of board changes. So it's kind of like reinvented itself so many times throughout the, the years and has had really good times. 
and really crap times. Um, so it's, that was like kind of a, a roller coaster as well. And, you know, I think a lot of them sort of, they look as well outside, they look external because they think, oh, you come from like the university system and you had all this fitness training and nutrition and, you know, cause we really were take, well taken care of at Duke. So yeah. they, they kind of look to, to, to me to, to sort of answer questions about, you know, strength training programs and stuff. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, you can talk to our strength trainer, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was a really interesting time. It was very amateur. And then it got quite professional from like 20, maybe 2006 to like 2000, maybe 12 or 11, 11, 12. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's just kind of like fallen off again a bit with lack of support and things. But, um, but yeah, that was like a really long winded answer to your question. <laughs> Perfect. That's what yeah. I was but it was fun. It was a good time. It was a lot of fun. It was a great culture. Really good. Yeah. Well, that yeah. that was my next question. It was about the culture because I'm I'm quietly obsessed about the All Blacks. Um, yeah. I've, I've watched this the stuff on Prime about them and and yeah. done a bit of reading up on them and take take a chance to watch anything I can about them. Um, just in terms of the culture, what, what yeah. we were speaking about. Um, and my dad when my, my dad went to I think it was Christchurch he was in with Rangers. Yeah. Good um, city, good city, Craig. He absolutely loved it, and he always said to me, "If you ever get a chance to." to leave then don't don't go down south or anything go go to New Zealand or go to Australia um, and he said the culture was great he said everybody was so humble and so nice and there was no egos and stuff like that so was it the same for for you as well was was that the way it was yeah the like sports in New Zealand is um is incredible they get support from top down even just recently the New Zealand government has done a 270 million dollar fund to to sports through COVID times and wow. some of that's yeah some of that I think is earmarked towards like um new tech and innovation and things so they're they're just incredible um in terms of like how they approach their sport and sport is kind of like a very big part of the culture in New Zealand um obviously it's a small small-ish island like 4.2 I think million now and um but you look you know, at the size of the population and they, they're such heavy hitters They're for, for the size of their population, they really over, um, exceed expectations, you know, like the all blacks. And yeah, my uncle was an all black as well. So we grew up sort of with a very strong sports culture. My mom yeah. played netball, you know, my uncle or my grandfather was in the, the army, New Zealand representative team, which was like right before the all blacks. And so it was just, yeah, my dad was a big cricketer. So yeah, it was like something that you just kind of like do in New Zealand. It's yeah. part of the, how you grow up. Um, and I'm so thankful that I got to grow up a lot of months and years in Christchurch as well with my family. Um, so that I really kind of like understood that culture but it's a very different culture from the U.S. sports culture. So um, one of the things that I found really difficult when I first started was that, you know, the U.S. mentality in sports is like, I am going to be a superstar and yeah. you should not be apologetic for that. Like you have to be the best that you can possibly be. Um, you should fight for everything. You should compete. Co competition is great, you know. Um, and in New Zealand, it's, it, there's still a little bit of the tall poppy syndrome. So it is mm -hmm. very much more of the team mentality. It's what's best for everybody. Um, so they, they don't have that same, like, I'm going to, I'm going to just compete until I die sort of mentality. Um, or if you do, you do it as a team or nothing, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so that was hard because in the, in the U S it was, we appreciate the heroes, you know, we appreciate the ones that are just going to like take the game by the scruff of the neck and like dribble through five people and score the goal themselves. And in New Zealand, people would like maybe look at you a little bit more and go, you know, you could have probably passed it there. Like, you yeah. didn't. or if you, if you try that and then you fail, it's like, see, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you pass it? Why didn't you play? So like merging those two cultures was a little bit of a culture shock for me in the beginning because you know, and also Americans are just so much more, we're just louder, aren't we? Yeah. Like we play, I think you would have fit much better into a U.S. sports <laughs> team, like constantly talking and like, yeah, come on, you know. And also like if you make a shit pass, they're not afraid to tell you you made a shit pass, but they're also going to say like, next one's got to be better. Let's do this, you know, like very positive vibe. 
And I think that a lot of people find that just quite annoying. It's like, yeah. you know, when I moved to Germany, for example, when I was playing there, it's so funny because like the girls would just turn around and be like, that was shit. And you're yeah. like, okay, but <laughs> like, how does that help me? You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. that just demotivated the shit out of me. And like, <laughs> I already know it's shit, you know? So the German culture is very, very different. So yeah, it's, I think the culture side of sports has been probably the most interesting part of my entire adventure in, in sports. It's like understanding why people act the ways they do. How do you motivate people differently? Um, because of the background, because of the culture, because of the environments that they've grown up in. Um, so yeah, the, the New Zealand culture is super laid back. Yeah. Like, I mean, we could, we could wear whatever we wanted to all the meals. We could wear flip flops. We had a guitar, like basically everywhere we were singing, we were messing around. We were loud. We were fun. Um, we weren't afraid to show that we were having a good time. And mm -hmm. I think in other cultures like the U S and German cultures, um, you're not really allowed or you weren't traditionally allowed to do that as much because people thought you weren't taking it seriously and like yeah. sports serious. Um, so yeah, it's, it was fun. I really enjoyed my time in New Zealand, which doesn't mean that I didn't, you know, have lots of different challenges as well and things that I had to overcome. But overall, I think it was for me like a really positive experience, which is the only reason I did it, Craig. Cause like, I wasn't in it for fame. I, I wasn't in yeah. it for money. And if I had been, I would have been in the wrong friggin' sport. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you, you were in the wrong sport to do that. Yeah. There's, yeah. um, you, you spoke about the setbacks and challenges there. You, you obviously had some injuries during your time as well. Um, I noticed that for the scar on your knee when you, you moved your leg there. How was it coming through like injuries and, and, and the setbacks? Because obviously you moved away from home as well. You moved away from LA and, and yeah. you, you've got quite an interesting story about that, about a New Zealand letterhead and you just sent it to yeah. as many people as you could. So how did that come about? And then we'll talk about the injuries. How, how did you get your move away? Um, God, looking back now, Craig, it was like, geez, so many things just like the stars aligned and I got kind of lucky, but then other people say, well, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So I don't know how you, however you want to look at it. I basically wrote probably like a thousand emails, um, to as many clubs as I could literally Google and find. Cause I didn't really, I had one friend who had played in the Italian league, but that she said it wasn't very good. Like quality was not good. Um, and I had another friend, well, Shannon Box, actually, ex-US women's national team player, um, who had played in, I think, Saarbrücken in Germany, and she hated it. She, like, came back after three months. So I, I didn't really have much to go on. There weren't really any agents at that time. So I just literally got, like, yeah, New Zealand letterhead and just Googled. <laughs> I don't even know if Google was around then. Must have been. 2003? Yeah, must have been. When did it start? I read something recently where it was, like, I'm not sure. Actually, that's a very good question because I just remembered using Google for like when I started using a computer. So, yeah, because someone someone posted something and they were like, "I'm I'm older than Google. My my kids don't believe me when I say I'm older than Google." I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm going to Google how old Google yeah, is. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Craig. Um, yeah, and then I just got like you know heard back from a couple clubs and they said if you want to come for a tryout, go for it. Um, so I paid my own way to Europe and I planned out like I think three or four tryouts a couple in Norway Sweden and then Frankfurt um and just paid my own way and and met up with them and they let me like stay at their places or it was either at the coach's place or a teammate's place or whatever and did you know between two days to seven days of tryouts with the teams and um, ended up getting a, a contract with FFC Frankfurt, which was at the time the European like champion. So yeah. called the, the European Women's Cup, I think, or the U UEFA Women's Cup rather than it wasn't Champions League back then. Um, so they were like in that and they were the German League champions and they had won the 2003 World Cup that we failed to qualify for. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd, I'd actually seen that, that final um, which was one of the things that I think had inspired me to just go do it. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm captain of a team that could potentially go to a world cup and Olympics because Australia had obviously moved from Oceania to AFC right at mm -hmm. that time. And that was why I was like, I should just do this. You know, I have nothing to lose. Maybe yeah. I'm not enough. Maybe I am, but 
um, at least I should go try to enjoy it for a couple of years because, you know, I have an economics and Spanish degree and from a great university and I'm, you know, I, I literally have nothing to lose. So, um, so I did. I went to Frankfurt. It was terrible and great at the same time trying to be thrown in the deep end with a bunch of Germans speaking German. Um, they have a very distinct way of playing, uh, that you have to follow like all the rules for, um, which is diff just different from the U S um, systems and, uh, didn't understand the language and was playing with the world's best players, like literally mm -hmm. with very good prints for not the like just incredible players. And was also like, to be honest, a bit out of my depth. Um, cause I couldn't understand what was going on and didn't understand the style of play and just didn't have anyone really that was, that was there to sort of help. Um, but I also enjoyed it the most cause a lot of those players are still some of my best friends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which is, yeah. So like Birgit and Renata and, um, Louis Henson, who's a Danish player, like have been to all their weddings and yeah. So it's, it was, That's even cool. though I only played there six months, I think they, just saw the grit and determination that I had that I was like, I'm not leaving, you know, I want to play mm -hmm. and I'm going to, I'm going to do my best despite everything. And then, you know, and then they slowly start coming and talking to you, but Germans are very sort of reserved in the beginning. They, they like to watch and see how you do. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, if we trust you, then we'll kind of like let you into this group. But once they do, you're, you're friends for life really. So that was, that took a while. Um, but it was good. And then I moved to FSV Frankfurt. So the other Frankfurt team in Frankfurt for the second half of the season. And then I moved to Sweden. And then from there, it was just, you start playing and you start building reputation and slowly people start hearing about you and you get other opportunities. And that's how it kind of ended up in Wolfsburg at the end. So yeah, it was good. It's a, uh, you're just speaking about it there. And one thing I spoke to Fiona about the other, the other week was about the culture. How how did you find the culture? Because obviously you've spoken about cultures quite a lot in, in America and New Zealand and you're in the UK now. So you've obviously done, was it Germany and then Sweden you said there? So how how was the culture for you? I know Germany you said was quite tough at first because they are reserved and, and they'll suss you out before they'll, they'll make the move. But how, how did you find it going from Germany to Sweden? Yeah, I think too, Craig, like back when I was playing, it was like 2003 till 2012 like was my final year player 2013 actually like it wasn't as open as it is now so you didn't have as many players playing in different leagues so mm -hmm. I was like I think literally I was the only U.S. I was definitely the only American player in the German league and they had only had like one or two previously like in the history of the league and there weren't even any that many non-German players and if they mm -hmm. were they were like you know Austrian or they spoke German um, so I think like the, the cultures were a bit more, um, tight, like stricter, yeah. like a, a bit more like stereotyped. Mm -hmm. And now you have, you know, players playing all over the place. And I mean, you look at Wolfsburg now, they've got Pernille Harder, who's Danish. They've got an Icelandic player. They've got, uh, a Polish player. They've got Germans. They have, I think they have a Finnish player or she might have left. Yeah. So they, I mean, they have like all types of cultures, but when I came, it was like a culture shock for them and for me. Yeah. Uh, it was like, you know, my, my sort of very upbeat, talkative, open personality, positive, you know, on the pitch, like that's fine. Next one, you know, um, was really quite different for them as well. So I think it was like a, a cultural adjustment from both sides when I went to Germany and um, especially when I went to Wolfsburg, I remember like I was there the second time when I came back to Germany, I went to Wolfsburg and there was uh, two Norwegian players and a Finnish player. Um, is it two Norwegian? No, it was just two Norwegian players to begin with. And they're very similar, you know, very positive, very talkative, very open. And so it felt like, okay, at least I have like a little bit of a, backup you know <laughs> like yeah. so that when i'm positive or, or smiling or something i don't feel like i'm completely alone um but yeah the swedish culture is very different from the german germans were rules-based um like yeah you had to wear the right things you weren't really allowed to smile or laugh um at least not when you were playing you know all off the pitch is a different story but even there was a bit sort of stiff um 
and yeah, a lot of rules um, that didn't necessarily, I don't think, suit the skill sets of the players or how different players are motivated. Um, but you just kind of had to fall into that, that system, like the German system of playing. And in Sweden, it was a lot more open. It was a lot more democratic. So the coaches were very much, oh yeah. And in Germany, it was like very autocratic. So the, the coach was the boss and there was a hierarchy, you know, so yeah. you couldn't just go and talk to the coach. Like you had to talk to the captain, the captain had to talk to, you know, oh, man. yeah, it was really quite weird for me coming from the U S system. And also the U.S. my U.S. university had a much better strength and conditioning program, a much better sort of nutrition um, program, much better um, fitness program. And so like I was coming from an environment that was, you know, arguably more quote unquote professional, but then going into an environment that was a lot more stiff and like professional. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I know what you mean. It was weird. Yeah. It was really weird. And then I went to Sweden and it was like, I went to the Northern part of Sweden where people say that they're the nicest people because they're, you know, farther away from the, the larger cities like the Stockholms and the Malmö's. Um, and it was just incredible. Like the most lovely, warm, welcoming family oriented club, I think on the planet still to this day is, uh, was soon. I know was now I think in the third division or something up there, but I mean, I learned so much there because they were so supportive and it was like night and day from arriving in Germany to Sweden. Um, very welcoming. And then the coaches were very democratic. They really liked that the players took authority, that they wanted us to sort of meet together, discuss on the pitch, off the pitch, how we can um, improve things. So it was very much like, hey, you guys are in charge of your own futures. Like mm -hmm. you're in charge of your own destiny. Um, go do it and we'll be here to support you. So it was a really cool vibe at the club as well. Um, and I got to play with incredible players. Like I played with Hannah Markland was the other center back. So I was so young at the time. I think I was like 26, 27. So I learned a lot from her just as a person, as a leader, as a player. Um, and then her two sisters were on the team as well. And they had a lot of years of playing and we had a really good team. We had Mane Edlund, we had, um, Norbrand, what was her first name? Kiki Wicklund, um, yeah, Alex Nielsen. We had we had like a really, you know, a lot of the, the Swedish national team players. So um, it was nice to see that. You were like, okay, the Germans won the World Cup, but the Swedes are like number four in the world. Yeah. And even though they had totally different cultures and ways of playing and talking to each other, they were both top, top countries. So it was nice to see that, I think, um, and be able to sort of flex in and out of that. Yeah. I could go on for days. What was life like for you after playing football? Because that's what a lot of people struggle to adjust with. So how did it um, affect you when you stopped playing? Because obviously you, you had a, a very, very good career. Um, and then one day everybody's career stops. Yeah. So how, how did it affect you when you had to stop? Um, I kind of always knew that, I, you know, I never really wanted to be a pro footballer. I probably mentioned that earlier. Mm -hmm. So I kind of fell into it. So I always kind of was looking forward to that post-career. I just didn't really know what it was. And the more I got sucked into the pro footballer um, career lifestyle identity was a big one, um, the less focus I had on my post-career transition. Um, and, you know, I was someone that had gone to, you know, a, a good school, a well-known school and or university in, in the US studied like economics and Spanish. Then I did my MBA because I was, I just wanted to have a better background of, of business because I've always wanted to start my own company and then did a postgrad in psychology. So, you know, what we were chatting about, yeah, yeah. because I just think it's vital to everything. Basically it's like understanding why we do the things we do and how other people work. It just, it, it helps with everything. So, you know, for someone that had four different degrees, and lots of experience and speak different languages, yada, yada, yada. I still was kind of scared shitless, to be honest, um, because even though I had all that background, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I'd been thinking about it a lot and sort of trying to plan. And I think what really kind of saved, not saved me, but really helped me in that transition was just the fact that I was really open always to different opportunities. So when FIFA was in Wolfsburg, doing their inspections for the 2011 World Cup that was in Germany. 
I met the head of women's football at the time, Tatiana Henny, um, through a friend of mine, Iggy Lingor, Renate Lingor, who was one of the best players like in the world in like from early 2000s to probably whenever she retired, whenever that was around 2008, I think, 2009. Um, so she was working for the DFB, working with FIFA. And she said, oh, I want you to meet Tatiana because you guys will get along, whatever. And then because of that, we kind of kept in touch very, very, you know, briefly because we my parents came over we went to to Zurich we did like a road trip and so I hit her up and I said hey can you give me some tips on Zurich and just randomly kind of and she had been following my career and was looking for a position that and really wanted an ex-player because she wanted that expertise from the player side to help yeah. organize the women's world cups so I think through my connections and networking which at the time I wouldn't have ever sort of called networking it was just you know talking to people and, and asking lots of questions of interesting people and jobs that I found interesting, which weren't all in football or sports to, for that matter. Um, and that's why she kind of let me know that that job position was open. So that's why I applied and then transitioned into to FIFA. But before that, I was um, really struggling with my knee injury. I, um, I had the first knee injury in 2007 before the Women's World Cup in China had a surgery right after I could barely walk. I'd played the whole World Cup because they had misdiagnosed me and then came back for the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Um, and then, you know, played until 2012 in London. But before I went to London, I just, you know, my knee was swelling up for like this whole second half of the season at Wolfsburg. When we, that was the season we qualified for our very first Champions League, mm -hmm. which was kind of like, what the hell? We, we were you know, ninth place when I came in 2009, all of a sudden in 2011, we were, um, or 2012, we were second place in qualified for Champions League. It was kind of like this crazy trajectory of success. Um, and a lot of that was just because I was playing injured, you know, as like the co-captain in the back, leading the defense, lead, you know, guiding, helping, leading the team and um, just didn't feel like I was being taken care of really. So I ended up having to find well, went down to New Zealand, had to rehab actually for the full month before the Olympics. So I was touching off. I was even going to play, which was, you know, obviously for New Zealand as be, being the captain and an essential player for the team was not ideal. And they weren't that happy with the lack of care that had happened um, at Wolfsburg, but there was just a lack of communication yeah. from between the club and the national team, um, which I think still exists to some cases, not as, not as much in England. I think they do a good job, but in a lot of countries that's still actually the case and the player ends up being in the middle which is shit i can tell you from experience because mm -hmm. not really you know you're not really satisfying either side and um you can't, you don't really know what to do you're put in a very hard position so that that whole year was just really tough for me um it was that bittersweet of qualifying for champions league feeling like i'm on top of the world but also every time i looked down at my knee it was swollen yeah. Um, and I knew something was wrong. And every time I went to the doctors in Wolfsburg, they're like, you're fine, get back on the pitch. And it was like, I'm not fine. I know I'm not fine. So when I got down to New Zealand, I was really thankful for the care that the national team gave me. Um, they were incredible and got me through the Olympics because I knew, I knew my knee was not good, but I just knew, look, I'm just going to, I really want to play the Olympics. And I knew sort of, no one knows the repercussions afterwards, but you know, we, we knew that it wasn't going to be a positive one having, you know, um, already come into it with a, with a very severe sort of cartilage injury, um, played through that. And then when I went back to Wolfsburg, I was basically just kind of ignored. It was like, do you, do you, my national team was like, do you want to do the handover? They basically never answered, didn't really care, chucked me back into training. I basically had to pull myself out of training, you know, rather than anyone sort of yeah. saying, Hey, this isn't right. I was like, I, I can't, walk like I'm in so much pain all the time found my own doctor in Berlin he did the MRI and he, I actually ended up having a bone bruise that was halfway up my thigh and he was like it's the biggest bone bruise I've ever seen on a femur wow <laughs> so basically put me straight on crutches he's like shouldn't even be walking on it um ended up having another surgery which obviously didn't help that much and then had to retire so it was very difficult because I you know on paper, it looks like I transitioned. As you say, it was like couldn't have planned yeah. any better, but it was mentally and physically very difficult. I, I was rehabbing for six, seven months on my own from after the Olympics. So the Olympics were August 2012. I had my surgery in October. 
I then rehabbed all the way until May, till the end. We, we won Champions League and I was kind of there, but didn't really feel as part of the team. Um, and basically was rehabbing by myself in Potsdam, like yeah. my own way, doing literally my own thing. Um, so it was really hard. Didn't feel like part of the team. Definitely didn't have the support of the management of the club. And um, but then, yeah, went to went to FIFA, got, got like I would say, lucky, but sometimes you create your own luck, I guess, and um, really enjoyed that. But for me, it was very important that my knee sort of rehabbed to the point where I felt like I could at least walk without pain. And so I worked very, very hard for eight months just to get to that point. Um, knew, knew at one point, you know, I sat down with my physio and we really had that hard talk where he was like, I don't think you should play football anymore. And I really think we should talk about running ever again yeah and so you know I was really thankful for that honesty as well um and I'm I'm yeah my knee now is still not good um I can do a lot of activities but I can't do any kind of running or jumping so there, there were definite repercussions of that but it, but I was really lucky because I just shifted my focus on something that used to be all about your body yeah <laughs> you know to all the things that were not, not about my body at all, really. Um, still, you know, swim, swim, surf when I can, do Pilates, exercise, like very, very much still into fitness, but um, very, very different focus. And yeah, spent four and a half years at FIFA, traveled the world, organized incredible World Cups. Then it sort of got more political than I wanted it to be or felt that I was comfortable with. Um, and then left and, and sort of did my own thing for eight to nine months, started a production company with my sister in LA, trying to tell the stories that were so underrated and, and underrepresented um, in women's football. And that was how I got introduced to Copa 90 and I've been working with them for about two years, but I'm doing more on my own now. Um, yeah, looking to launch sort of my own thing and or have been doing my own thing for a while and, and just trying to make that more official. So. It's been a good trip. It's been a good trip, but um, I think any elite athlete will tell you that the one thing I think that you learn is just resilience. It's yeah. not. It's never what it looks like on paper. Um, it's always a hard graft as an athlete. It all. It's always super hard. And anyone that tells you otherwise, I just yeah, they're very very lucky then. <laughs> yeah. But it's good. I'm glad. I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't want to. I don't want to do things the easy way. I want to, I want to challenge myself and I have a very strong sort of growth mentality. So I always want to be growing, be learning. And I think being an athlete, you, 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 that's instilled in you because it's just, you have to, you know, you have to find a way to be able to perform. And um, yeah, so I've, I've, I'm very lucky. I feel very happy in my life and satisfied and content and there's always more that I want to be doing but I feel like the path that I've taken has been really incredible and a lot of fun and really hard but <laughs> very rewarding as well so I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything looking back so difficult when you get injured because it's um we just we just recorded a podcast for this new one that we're launching the BBC and the Copa one, it's called The Players. Um, it's just interesting talking about injury with a couple of the, like, some top players really globally. And you just feel like you're not a part of the team. You don't feel like, you know, mentally you're in it. You don't really know where you sit. It's just that really gray zone. All you just care about is just get back, just get back, just get back. And you, you do that at the cost of your own body, I think. And, and because there's you just have a lack of understanding about long-term consequences and then also how much mentally it sort of can affect you so I think there yeah the, the lack of support for players and a lot of you know a lot of people know that on the women's there's a lack of support so it's just kind of like out there but the lack of support for young boys is terrible really yeah, yeah. globally I mean if you're a top top male footballer yeah, you have great support, but unless you're in that top like five percent globally, it's it can be a grind, and and there there can be a a massive gap and a difference in in the support. So, and it's it's so much. It is physical because you're gonna have long term consequences, but it's so much about the mental side too. That if you don't come out of it and be able to learn and are able to learn from, you know what that means and and how to be resilient out of those situations, then can be quite detrimental more long term you know so 
yeah, it's it's interesting. I bet I bet you would have come back and you would have played because you were still young and it wasn't like you had this, you know, massive cartilage injury or that where it's never ever going to heal. It, it sounded yeah. more like a biomechanics, like someone just needed to properly align you, make sure that you were adjusted, and then constantly strengthening those areas that were weak that allowed it to keep sort of going out of flipping out of um, alignment, but. Yeah, the biomechanics are another major one, isn't it? Because if you repeat, repeat, yeah. repeat, 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 and you have like 1% of an angle that's just not in the right place, that's going to turn into an injury. So that, that biomechanics is so, so intensely important, but it's also overlooked, I think, a lot in sports as well. Yeah, as massively, and I think that's what I, I spent maybe nine months on that, that Swiss ball. And people, I think people... I think I had it in my head that people used to just think, oh, all he's doing is sitting on that. But by the end of it, I could stand on it in one foot. That's how good I'd got my body back into condition. And then a couple of games back in, it was like, I went to block something and bang, ankles away and knees away. And I'm like, are you having a laugh? Like, all I've done is plant my foot to, to block a pass and stupidly yeah. get back up and played on. Like, I never went off because I'm thinking, I'm not going off. It's, it's that stubbornness. And then when yeah, I, home, I, I can remember taking the tape off my sock and I could just, I don't know how to explain it, but I could feel my ankle starting to like expand in the sock. And I'm like, how am I going to get this sock off? And I'm thinking the kit man will kill me if I cut it. He's going to kill me. So don't cut the sock off. So yeah. I got it off. And my mate was sitting next to me and he looked at it and he just went, ah, oh, fuck. And I was like, nah, no. But my knee, my knee never swole straight away. But my ankle went. And I thought, if I ice it when I go home, the swelling will go down. But I woke up the next day and it was like two times the size. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. And it's, as you're right, you make your own luck sometimes as well. And I think Lady Luck was not on my side. Not at that time, yeah. anyway. She was not on my side, Bex, not at that time. But um, let's talk about Copa 90 because I, I've been a big fan of Copa 90 for a while. And again, probably one of the things that attracted me me to speak to you as well was that and I just think this some of the stuff that you do is absolutely excellent so what's that been like being in there and and being involved with that yeah it's been great um what what parts of Copa do you like the best just curious you know what was my favorite for so long it was Derby days absolutely loved yeah. it um absolutely loved it and I've kind of went away for it a wee bit because I've been doing my own stuff uh mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm cheating on somebody in a relationship. Every time I move away from something, I feel like I'm cheating on them and I'm not paying them enough yeah. attention. It was like the boys from Mundial as well, um, we own and stuff like that. Like, mm -hmm. I've got so many issues sitting in the room that I've not read and I promised I would read them during lockdown and I feel like I've cheated yeah. on them because I've not read them yet. Yeah, it's tough though, isn't it? There's so much good content and, and things to see. So much happening. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, thank, thanks. I'm, I'm always curious to see like what, what part of COPA people really like. Um, yeah. And I, I guess that's the part about it that I, that I like too, is that it does so many different things. Um, when, I, when I first sort of met Tom, the CEO, he kind of approached me and he just said, look, we have traditionally done more men's football and been guilty of the same thing that most media platforms and broadcasters basically media is guilty of which is that we just show what's easiest and what's fed to us which is men's football mm -hmm. but we know that we need to make a change but he said i'm going to be honest that i don't really know how to do it really or, or what the best way to go into it so just that in and of itself was like wow here's a guy that is running sort of a very you know, successful media, football, digital media platform and, and just being open to admitting that there's an issue that they want to develop and, and solve and grow into um, finding that solution um, to that issue. And, and then like having the, yeah, I mean, having the balls really to hire someone that has come from it and, and, and knows it and, and stuff so it was really kind of a really cool chat from the very beginning I just had a good vibe and and as I got to know them I was like these people are really um quite talented and really interesting and, and into the same values so the reason I left FIFA was partly because the values just didn't match you know like for me I think I believe in the power of football I believe that it can 
change society and culture and it is it can be a very strong educational tool on so many different levels some of which i've already mentioned in terms of like personal development but also cultural and social development i mean and i saw that firsthand the most extreme case was in jordan when we did the under 17 women's world cup in jordan so you're in the middle of the middle east um and working in this country that is just incredible. Like Prince Ali of Jordan was the FA president and he was so supportive. He put in place like a team of all women and they had, well, not all women, but he, the most of the sort of heads up were all women and they did the most incredible job I'd ever seen on any tournament. Um, put in the first accessibility um, stadium in the Middle East. It was the first time that hijabs were ever seen in an international tournament. I mean, it was just really cool. Um, supported their women's teams massively. And so it was just like really cool stories. And you see like how something like that in that region of the world too can really start to change perception and, and how people view women and girls and things. Um, so I don't know. I think that just kind of like matched with me all the stuff that I'd seen that Copa had done. It's all about the same. It's like, you know, for the fans, give, give us our ball back. You know, like we don't want to be told how we should consume football. We want to consume it in our own way. And we want to turn the camera back onto the fans and what they're doing. So it's just a really cool, innovative, disruptive, but also inclusive and positive vibe. Um, so I really, I really sort of bought into that and, um, and I've enjoyed it. It's been a roller coaster there. I mean, there's been lots of different, you know, changes. And we had an office in the U.S. that's that's no longer there. And um, yeah, there's been change. Um, in COVID was it's just has just been so detrimental to so many people. Um, yeah. But it's still it's still kicking and it's still strong. And the people there are still great. And um, you know, those that have left have been incredible people as well. So it kind of attracts really good talent you know whether they end up staying or not it's it's um it's seen some really great people through its doors and and it's done some really cool things i mean the, the most recent one is our pepsi launch where we sort of you know we're talking with pepsi i want to say like a year and a half ago about going into the women's game and providing sort of strategy about why that might be a good investment and kind of you know in my words it'd be try, trying to convince one of the world's biggest brands to invest in women's football and I'm sure there were other factors too, but they ended up doing it. And then we launched it like two or three weeks ago. And it was just like, I mean, take that from a year and a half ago where me and the head of strategy were like, what if we got Pepsi to like invest in women's football as well as what they do in the men's? Like how fucking cool would that be? You know? And then like doing it and getting top players involved and stuff like that. So lots of, lots of good stuff there. I mean, it, things can always be better everywhere can't they but um but yeah it's got a good it's got a good spirit let, let me ask you quite a serious question then because i know we've had a bit of laughing about fun on this but what is your um what's your advice for your younger self um i'd probably take the same advice that my parents gave me which was um follow your passions I think um, if you find something that you really, really love, you can't really go wrong. I mean, it can sometimes be very frustrating because you, you see, you know, big picture and you see all the places you want to go with your dreams. But um, I think at the end of the day, you have to find something that matches who you are and your values and what you believe in. Um, so I'd say, yeah, to my younger self and to any younger selves out there, <laughs> um, follow your passion, you know, follow where, where you get the most energy from things. Um, it may sound, people may judge you for it or they may say um, that you're weird, but take weird as a compliment. <laughs> you know, different, different is good, different is positive. Um, travel as much as you can be more be as curious as you possibly can um never stop growing and learning and have fun you know like life is short so and i i mean i think i probably took all that advice to be honest I have, i've had a lot of fun in my life as well i mean i've 
as you said, there's been like a lot of tick boxes in my career. I feel like I've accomplished a lot of things, but that doesn't mean shit if you're not enjoying it. That's for yeah. sure. So surround yourself with good people, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you and better than you at certain things and will stretch you and make you grow. And if you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. My dad's always kind of, I always kind of loved my parents because they, if there were any sort of social settings or any sort of situation where we'd be sort of thrown into meeting new people, they'd be the ones that were sending there asking everyone all the questions, you know, Mm -hmm. and tell me about that and tell me about that. And they'd go away and they'd be like, Oh, I learned, you know, we'd, we'd have like these not debriefs, but like, you know, on the car, on the, on the ride home, it's like, Oh my gosh. And he did that and that. And it was so interesting. And did you know that, you know, and a lot of people would go to those social settings and, and you get that a lot of times, but just want to talk about themselves. It's like, I don't get anything from that, from talking about myself. I, I'd rather sort of learn from other people. So I, I think I've taken, yeah, down board. Yeah. I mean, I think your podcast is pretty cool, to be honest. I mean, it's all about sort of shining the light on other people and learning from other people. So it's, it's incredible. Like, that's why, you know, everyone's lives are busy, but that's why I think it's important to take the time and have those chats because it's, um, it's great. It's great to share stories, but, um, yeah, I've listened to your podcast and I think it's great. So thank you. Yeah. Um, um, I hope you do continue it. Thank my face is went a wee bit red here. You'll not see it because of my beard and I've got a fluffy face, but it's went a bit warm. Appreciate that. <laughs> Bex, that is us. We're, we're finally got there. Finally got there. It's been one hell of a roller coaster to get here. I think yeah. you'll, you'll join me in admitting that one. But no, yeah. thank you very much um, for coming on the podcast, Bex. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, I've loved every minute. I've got lost in many of your stories. Mm-hmm. And then been reawakened when you've told me it's a long story at the end of it and I'm too busy getting lost in it and it's been amazing so thank you very much for coming on the podcast I really appreciate it well thanks so much for having me Craig really honestly and and again like just echoing what I said earlier but well done and I know it's a lot of work but it's just so important to sort of shine a light on people I'm not and I'm definitely not talking about myself but your podcast in general shining a light on people who are doing good things and you yourself as well it's nice that you share your your stories and your history and things because it is it is important you know so yeah. thank, thank you very much and keep going don't don't stop with the season <laughs> anybody it's no video but i got a finger pointed right in my face, there, right in your face. I, feel, I feel like i was getting into trouble there like yeah. don't stop but no i appreciate that bex thank you very much but yeah thank you all no, the best thank you you too